female folk singer is dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's going on. He hit your face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. Baby Azaria Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in 1980. Oh, hello my little stinkies and welcome back to Man It Is The Only True Crime Podcast on the internet where all the killers are real animals, whether it's biting, scratchings, maulings or clawings, we're here to talk about it. I'm your host, Papa Bear Jimbles. The most smelly with the most belly, the thickness with the sickness, and uh, today it's a very special episode, episode 70. You know, if this podcast was a dude, uh, 70, what would we be doing? I'd be just about ready to hit myself in the head with a rock, I think. I don't want to. I don't really want to live past 70 myself, if I'm being completely honest with you. The second my knees give out, I'm done. I'm not sticking around. I'm like, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. If I... If they're like, yeah, 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 so you might need a hip replacement in a few years, I'm driving my car into a river. I I, I really am. I don't, and I'm not trying to be disparaging to the differently abled or to elderly people. I'm just saying, I, I don't want to stick around so long that my body gets shit. My body's already shit. My, I got my big my big belly. Let me do a, do a quick side note. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned on the show. I'm in a I'm in a musical <laughs> right now. I'm doing Billy Elliot the musical uh, in Newcastle, uh, which is lovely. Lots of fun. Opening night. Suffered a little bit of a wardrobe malfunction. I'm supposed to strip my shirt off and reveal a, a tank top underneath, and then we do a little dance, which is re- it's supposed to be very funny, and it's been getting laughs. So I guess it is funny. Uh, but opening night, the um. I guess the, the tank top got stuck to the shirt because of my sweat, maybe. Um, and yeah, I basically just had to pull everything off and I flashed my bare belly to 1,500 people. And um, yeah, I did not want to do that. I would, yeah, that's, and I don't think they would have wanted it either. I think there probably were a lot of refunds that were requested after that. Um, yeah, and, the, and the, the great joke that I told everyone to much applause, was, uh, oh no, everyone saw my big belly Elliot. (laughs) Get it? Because it's Billy Elliot, and I showed my big belly Elliot. It's, um, yeah. Okay, so it's not that good. All right, well, moving on. (laughs) Special episode 70, uh, and we are sticking around past 70, don't you worry. Uh, Today we're talking about the death of Steve Owen. Now this was a, this is like a watershed moment for, for Australia. Um, I think f- since the time I've been alive, the the death of Steve Irwin probably is still the biggest national story that I've been alive for. That there's a few th- like a few other things pop into my mind. The Lint Cafe siege was quite big. Um, the the bushfires a few years ago, really bad. But the death of Steve Irwin. It just hit differently, and I don't know if it's because I was young or not, but it just it was such a, a, a horrible moment in the Australian consciousness uh, that we're still we're still reeling from it. Um, yeah, I, I, like he was such a beloved personality, uh, and and I think still like it, he died in two thousand six. Still, you um, if you were to say who's the most famous Australian, it's like people still say Steve Owen. And that's, that's, yeah, he has such a, for nearly 20 years being gone. That's a, that's a huge legacy. Um, 
So yeah, we're going to talk about Steve. We're going to talk about uh, his unfortunate death, the circumstances around it, and a little bit about the animals that caused it. But mostly today, we're going to delve into the guy himself and what made him so special. Uh, so if you if you're not aware of Steve Owen, which I'm surprised, I'd be very surprised by if you don't know who he is. Um, Steve Owen was a con- an Australian conservationist, and he became like a global phenomenon in the 2000s and maybe late 90s as well. I might say, um, and. It, it, it wouldn't be wrong to say he was like the pride of Australia. Uh, Australians loved that he, people thought of Australians, they thought of him because he made us look good in, um, you know, in, by comparison, not by a comparison, but he made us look good by proxy, you know? Um, no, and he was a really, he was a great guy. And, um, you know, well, yeah, we'll, get, we'll talk about him right now. <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's jump into our episode. Sit back, relax, and um let's let's talk about the wonderful life and the tragic death of Steve Owen. Steve Owen, the beloved wildlife enthusiast, more popularly known as the crocodile hunter, was born on February 22nd, 1962 in Essendon, which is a suburb of Melbourne in Australia. His passion for wildlife and conservation, as well as larger-than-life personality, made him a global icon in the field of wildlife education and entertainment. Irwin's early life experiences set the stage for his remarkable journey into the world of wildlife conservation. Growing up in a family of animal lovers, Steve Irwin's fascination with wildlife began at an early age. His parents, Bob and Lynn Irwin, were wildlife experts who ran a small reptile park called the Queensland Reptile and Fauna Park in Biwa, Queensland. Irwin's father, Bob, was a herpetologist and a keen advocate for reptile conservation, and he played a significant role in shaping Steve's passion for animals. As a young boy, Steve was actively involved in the family's wildlife park. He spent his days helping his parents care for various reptiles, including snakes, crocodiles, and lizards. Irwin's hands-on experience with these creatures allowed him to develop a deep understanding of their behavior and habitat, laying the foundation for his future career. Irwin's early interactions with wildlife were not limited to the confines of the family's park as well. His adventurous spirit led him to explore the natural surroundings of his home in Queensland, He spent countless hours observing and studying animals in their natural habitats, fostering a genuine love for the Australian wilderness. At the age of nine, Irwin received his first pet reptile, a scrub python named Fred. This event marked a pivotal moment in his life, solidifying his passion for reptiles. Irwin's parents encouraged his curiosity and provided him with knowledge and skills needed to handle various animals safely. The year before he was uh, to receive Fred, in 1970, when he was just eight years old, the family moved to Biwa, and they opened the Biwa Reptile Park. Under the guidance of his parents, Irwin actively participated in the park's operation, scaling valuable experience in animal husbandry and conservation. His hands-on approach to wildlife care honed his expertise and instilled in him a profound respect for all living creatures. Irwin's teenage years were marked by the deepening commitment to wildlife conservation, 
Now, while most teenagers are out getting drunk and smoking ciggies and uh, having sex, Steve Irwin became involved in various conservation projects and assisted his father in capturing and relocating problem crocodiles. These experiences further fueled his passion for crocodiles and their conservation. Irwin's unique ability to interact fearlessly with his powerful reptiles showcased his extraordinary bravery and dedication to raising awareness about the importance of preserving their natural habitats. Now, a few years later, in 1991, Steve Irwin took over the management of the family reptile park, which was later renamed to Australia Zoo. Under his leadership, the zoo underwent significant expansion, transforming it into a world-class facility for wildlife conservation. He emphasized education and conservation, aiming to inspire visitors to appreciate and protect the planet's diverse ecosystems. In the same year that he took over Australia Zoo, Steve met Terry Raines, an American naturalist from Eugene, Oregon, who was visiting the wildlife rehabilitation facilities in Australia and had decided to visit Australia Zoo. According to the couple, it was love at first sight. Terry said at the time, I thought there was no one like this anywhere in the world. He sounded like an environmental Tarzan, a larger-than-life superhero. And there's some beautiful footage of the two talking about their meeting, and I'm going to play it for you now. And I never expected to end up on the Sunshine Coast or visiting Birwa, but sure enough, driving by, there was this little tiny sign and this little tiny zoo, and I thought, I'll just go in to check it out. I went through the gate, and Australia Zoo opened up into these beautiful gardens and happy animals, and then there was a crocodile demonstration going on with this guy. This man was in with a crocodile talking about animals the way you talk about what you had for lunch. And now I'm going to feed this huge crocodile. Isn't he a little beauty, the man was saying. And I thought, well, I never really thought of crocodiles as beautiful, but I'll have a look. And I stood and listened to him talk about crocodiles, that they were passionate lovers and beautiful mothers and what special animals they were. I thought, hang on, I've never heard anyone talk like that. And then he handed the crocodile some food. It came screaming out of the water, grabbed the piece of food, and he was as calm as if he was mailing a letter in a letterbox. I was sold. I thought, this man is the most incredible guy I have ever seen. He's probably married. He's got to be taken. When I saw Terry in the crowd, I looked up and our eyes met. And my heart just went bang, 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 just started thumping. It was love at first sight. I know this sounds like it's coming out of some Mills and Boone love novel, but it's true. Love at first sight. Next thing, whoa, I remembered where I was. Agro is trying to kill me. So I wound up the demo. Yep, thanks for coming. And then she stayed back and talked to me. He said hello, and I think I said something really clever like hi. And crikey, our love just went ballistic. And at that precise moment, Lori took a photograph of us. Now, that photo I still have to this day, and it is the funniest moment. I don't know if there's many married couples who have a photo of the exact moment they first met, but I'm lucky enough to have that shot. Terry and Steve were engaged only four months later, and they were married in Eugene on the 4th of June, 1992. Although the Irwins were happily married, they didn't wear wedding rings because they believed that in their line of work, wearing jewellery could pose a hazard to them and the animals. Terry and Steve spent their honeymoon trapping crocodiles together, 
Film footage of their honeymoon, taken by John Stainton, became the first episode of The Crocodile Hunter. His television debut came in the form of a documentary titled The Crocodile Hunter, which aired in 1992. The documentary showcased Irwin's fearlessness and passion for crocodiles and was met with widespread acclaim. Audiences were captivated by his daring encounters with these powerful reptiles and his genuine enthusiasm for educating people about the importance of preserving their natural habitats. The documentary marked the beginning of Irwin's journey into the world of television and paved the way to his rise for fame. The series debuted on Australian screens in 1996 and made its way into the North American television market the following year. The Crocodile Hunter became successful in the United States, the United Kingdom, and over 130 other countries, reaching 500 million people. Irwin's exuberant and enthusiastic presenting style, broad Australian accent, signature khaki shorts, and his catchphrase, Crikey, became known internationally. Sir David Attenborough, praised Irwin for introducing so many people to the natural world, saying he taught them how wonderful and exciting it was. He was a born communicator. As the Crocodile Hunter series gained popularity, Irwin's fame soared to unprecedented heights. His infectious energy and unscripted, spontaneous style of presenting wildlife endeared him to viewers of all ages. Irwin's ability to connect with animals, combined with his signature catchphrase, Crikey, became synonymous with his persona. His show reached audiences in more than 100 countries, making him a household name and a beloved figure in the realm of wildlife conservation and entertainment. Irwin's impact extended far beyond the reach of a television screen, though. He used his fame to raise awareness about endangered species, habitat conservation, and the importance of preserving biodiversity. His work was of course not limited to crocodiles, he actively campaigned for the protection of various animals, including elephants, whales, and orangutans. Irwin's advocacy efforts resonated with people worldwide, inspiring many people to join the cause of wildlife conservation. American satellite and cable television channel Animal Planet ended the crocodile hunter with a series finale called Steve's Last Adventure. The last Crocodile Hunter documentary spanned three hours with footage of Irwin's across-the-world adventures in locations including the Himalayas, Yangtze River, Borneo, and Kruger National Park. Now, after The Crocodile Hunter, Irwin went on to star in other Animal Planet documentaries including The Croc Files, The Crocodile Hunter Diaries, and New Breed Vets. Animal Planet also created the annual Croc Week Marathon, which lasted a week in the middle of June every year from 2000 to 2007. And a side note here, I know that it'll never be as popular as Shark Week, but I think Croc Week is an entirely underrated event, and we should celebrate it more. Now, while all of this was happening, Steve and Terry had two children together. They had a daughter whose name is Bindi Sue Irwin, who was born on the 24th of July, 1998, and they had a son named Robert Clarence Irwin, born on the 1st of December, 2003. Bindi Sue is jointly named after two of Steve Irwin's favourite animals, Bindi, a saltwater crocodile, and Sue, a Staffordshire bull terrier. Robert is named after Irwin's father, Bob, and Terry's father, Clarence. Irwin once described his daughter Bindi as the reason he was put on this earth. His wife once said, the only thing that could ever keep him away from the animals he loves are the people he loves even more. Irwin frequently said that if he, if he was going to be remembered for anything, he hoped he would be remembered for being a good father. 
1998, Irwin continued his television career working with director Mark Strickson to present The 10 Deadliest Snakes in the World. He appeared on several episodes of The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And in 2000, a FedEx commercial with Irwin lightheartedly dealt with the possibility of an occupational death from a snake bite and the fanciful notion that FedEx would have saved him if only FedEx was used. Under Steve Irwin's leadership, operations grew inside Australia Zoo. The television series, the Steve Irwin Conservation Foundation, later renamed to the Wildlife Warriors, and the International Crocodile Rescue improvements to the Australia Zoo included the, the Animal Planet Crocosseum, the Rainforest Avery, and the Tiger Temple. Irwin had mentioned that he'd considered opening an Australia Zoo in Las Vegas, Nevada, and possibly other sites around the world. In 2001, Irwin appeared in a cameo role in the Eddie Murphy film Dr. Doolittle 2, in which an alligator warns Doolittle that he knows Irwin is going to grab him and he's prepared to attack when he does, but Dr. Doolittle fails to warn Irwin in time. Irwin's only starring feature film role was in 2002's The Crocodile Hunter Collision Course, which was released to mixed reviews. In the film, Irwin, who portrays himself and performs numerous stunts, mistakes some CIA agents for poachers. He sets out to stop them from capturing a crocodile, which, unknown to him, has actually swallowed a tracking transmitter. The film won the Best Family Feature Film Award for a comedy film at the Young Artist Awards. The film was produced on a budget of about $12 million and grossed about $33 million. To promote the film, Irwin was featured in an animated short produced by Animex Entertainment for Intermix. In 2002, Irwin and his family appeared in the Wiggles video-slash-DVD released Wiggly Safari, which was set in Australia Zoo and featured singing and dancing inspired by Australian animals. Irwin fronted an advertising campaign for the Garn in 2003, a passenger train operating between Adelaide, Alice Springs and Darwin. A Pacific National NR-class locomotive was named after Steve Irwin as part of this campaign. Like many Australians, myself not included, he was an avid cricket fan. This was seen during his visit to Sri Lanka, where he played cricket with some local children and said, I love cricket. It's a shame we have to go catch some snakes now. This was seen during the Crocodile Hunter episode, Island of Snakes. Owen also loved mixed martial arts competitions and trained with Greg Jackson in the fighting grappling system, uh, Gaidu Jitsu. Having grown up in Essendon, Irwin was a fan of the Essendon Bombers, an Australian Rules football club in the Australian Rules Football League. Irwin took part in Australian Rules football promotion in Los Angeles as part of Australia Week in early 2006. Having lived in Queensland for most of his life, Irwin was also a fan of rugby league. As a teenager, he played for the... Uh, I nearly said Cronulla Sharks, but it's a different team. The Kamuldra Sharks as a second rower, and as an adult he was known to be a passionate Brisbane Broncos fan and was involved with the club on several occasions. On one occasion, after turning up to training, he asked if he could tackle the largest player, Shane Webbick. Despite being thrown to the ground and looking like he'd been crushed, he was jovial about the experience. Irwin also supported rugby union, being a fan of the national team, the Wallabies. He once wore a Wallaby jersey during a demonstration at the zoo. A behind-the-scenes episode of The Crocodile Hunter showed Irwin and the crew finding a petrol station in a remote part of Nambia to watch the Wallabies defeat France in the 1999 Rugby World Cup final. Steve was also an avid, talented surfer. Now, Steve Irwin was not without his controversies. 
The crocodile hunter was undeniably a beloved figure in the realm of wildlife conservation and entertainment, and his infectious enthusiasm and daring interactions with animals made him a global icon, and he remains an enduring symbol of passionate advocacy for wildlife. However, like many public figures, Irwin's life and work were not without controversy. Several issues and incidents have sparked debates and discussions shaping the complex legacy of this iconic conservationist. Critics have raised concerns about Irwin's hands-on approach to handling animals, particularly dangerous reptiles such as crocodiles. And while he was celebrated for his fearlessness and ability to showcase the beauty of wildlife up close, some argued that his methods were too risky and could potentially stress out or harm the animals. Ethical debates often centered around the balance between educating the public and ensuring the well-being of individual animals involved. Irwin often faced accusation of wildlife harassment, especially related to his interactions with marine animals. Some marine biologists and environmentalists argued that his actions, such as approaching marine creatures too closely or interfering with their natural behaviours, could disrupt ecosystems and disturb the animals. These criticisms led to debate about the ethical boundaries of wildlife filming and education. In 2004, Irwin caused his most public outcry when he held his one-month-old son, Bob Irwin, while feeding a crocodile during a live show. When Irwin defended his actions as a way to teach his children about wildlife from an early age, people expressed concerns about the safety of the child. The incident sparked debates about responsible parenting and appropriate risk-taking, especially in the context of wildlife-related activities. Comparisons were made to the press... uh, Comparisons were made in the press to the Michael Jackson dangling his son out of a German hotel window incident. In addition, some child welfare groups, animal rights groups, and some of Irwin's television viewers criticized his actions as irresponsible and tantamount to child abuse. Irwin eventually apologized on the US NBC show Today. Now, both he and his wife publicly stated that Irwin was in complete control of the situation as he dealt with crocodiles since he was a small child, and based on his lifetime of experience, neither he nor his son were ever in any danger. He also showed the footage of the event shot from a different angle, demonstrating that they were much further away from the crocodile than they had appeared in the publicized clip. Terry said their child was in no more danger than being taught to swim. No charges were filed, according to one journalist. Irwin told officials he would not repeat the action. The incident prompted Queensland government to change its crocodile handling laws, banning children and untrained adults from entering crocodile enclosures. This is the moment Steve Irwin caused worldwide controversy, dangling one-month-old baby Robert near a four-metre crocodile 18 years ago. It's about time Bob got out there and did his first croc demo. The crocodile hunter apologised. In front of that crocodile, I was in complete control. But it's been revealed that stunt stripped Steve Irwin Australian of the Year in 2004. Swimming identity Lisa Curry was chair of the National Australia Day Council at the time. Excerpts from her soon-to-be-released book published in the Courier-Mail reveal she felt it was a mistake. Wildlife expert Steve Irwin was a no-brainer to win. It was so hard to make a decision to take away somebody's award which they'd won fair and square. Cricketer Steve Waugh was awarded in And I actually remember the media frenzy around this event. Uh, People took it really seriously. Some people were saying that he should have his kids taken away from him, uh, which I think was very crazy. I think these people might just be a little jealous. 
Now, some conservationists and ecologists raise concerns about the potential impact of Irwin's fame on wildlife conservation efforts. While his ability to captivate audiences undoubtedly raised awareness about endangered species and their habitats, critics argued that the emphasis on charismatic megafauna such as crocodiles and snakes overshadowed the conservation needs of lesser known but equally important species. This controversy highlights the challenge of balancing the public's interest in charismatic animals with the broader conservation goals. Irwin also faced some criticisms related to cultural appropriation, particularly his portrayal of indigenous Australian culture. Some argued that his enthusiastic, enthusiastic adoption of Australian slang and indigenous-inspired clothing and accessories were examples of cultural appropriation, raising questions about the respectful representation and appreciation of indigenous culture in the media. Irwin was a passionate conservationalist and believed in promoting environmentalism by sharing his excitement about the natural world rather than preaching to people. He was concerned with conservation of endangered animals and land clearing leading to loss of habitat. He considered conservation to be the most important part of his work. I consider myself a wildlife warrior. My mission is to save the world's endangered species. Irwin bought large tracts of land in Australia, Vanuatu, Fiji, and the United States, which he described as like national parks, and he stressed the importance of people realising that they can make a difference. Irwin founded the Steve Irwin Conservation Foundation, which became an independent charity and was later renamed the Wildlife Warriors Worldwide, which I was a member of when I was young, actually. He also helped found the International Crocodile Rescue, the Lynn Irwin Memorial Fund, named in memory of his mother who died in an automobile crash in 2000, and the Ironbark Station Wildlife Rehabilitation Facility. Irwin urged people to take part in considerate tourism and to not support illegal poaching through the purchase of items such as turtle shells or shark fin soup. Sir David Attenborough was an inspiration to Irwin, according to his widow, when presenting a Lifetime Achievement Award to Attenborough after Irwin's death at the British National Television Awards on the 31st of October, 2006, Terry Irwin said, If there's one person who directly inspired my husband, it's the person being honoured tonight. Steve's real, true love was conservation, and the influence of tonight's recipient in preserving the natural world has been immense. Attenborough reciprocated by praising Irwin for introducing so many people to the natural world, saying... He taught them how wonderful and exciting it was. He was a born communicator. On September 4th, 2006, the world lost a beloved icon of wildlife conservation and adventure. Steve Irwin's tragic death sent shockwaves through the global community, leaving millions of fans mourning the loss of a passionate conservationist, an educator, and television personality. Irwin's life was marked by fearless encounters with some of the world's most dangerous creatures, but it was seemingly routine wildlife expeditions that ended up in an unexpected tragedy, forever altering the landscape of environmental advocacy. The incident occurred off the coast of Port Douglas in Queensland, Australia, during the filming of a documentary titled Ocean's Deadliest. Owen, an experienced and skilled diver, was in the water near Bat Reef, 
an area renowned for its rich marine biodiversity. While on a break from filming, Steve decided to try and capture some footage for his daughter Bindi's upcoming television series. While exploring underwater, Irwin encountered a creature that would tragically lead to his untimely demise, a short-tailed stingray. Stingrays are generally docile creatures, but they do possess a venomous barb on their tail, which they use in self-defense. In a rare and unfortunate turn of events, Irwin seems to have accidentally approached the stingray in a way that provoked the animal. The stingray's tail struck Irwin in the chest, delivering a fatal blow. Despite the efforts of the crew and emergency medical response, Steve Irwin succumbed to his injuries and was pronounced dead at the scene. He was 44 years old. Australian crocodile hunter Steve Irwin has died during a diving expedition near Port Douglas in Australia. Well, it's reported the environmentalist was killed after being stabbed by a stingray barb in the chest while filming an underwater documentary on the Great Barrier Reef. Steve Irwin, who owned and ran the Australia Zoo with his family, shot to international fame with his crocodile hunter television series and films. I'm Steve Irwin. You might know me as the crocodile hunter. This was classic Steve Irwin, combining a love of the Australian wildlife with a confidence in front of the camera few could match. Bird-eating spider. Just kidding. The so-called crocodile hunter was killed during the underwater filming of his latest documentary. It's believed the 44-year-old father of two died after being stabbed through the chest by a stingray barb. He was taken to the surface by crew members but was pronounced dead shortly afterwards. He was working on the Great Barrier Reef in northeastern Queensland when the accident happened. Today the world has lost a great wildlife icon, a passionate conservationist and one of the proudest dads on the planet. He died what he did, he loved doing best. And he left this world in a happy and peaceful state of mind. He would have said... Crocs rule. You never know what's out there. Irwin was famous for his television program Crocodile Hunter, which was first broadcast in Australia in 1992 and has been broadcast around the world on the Discovery Channel. He first got involved with animals um, when his parents opened a small reptile park in Queensland in 1970 and that grew into the Australia Zoo and uh, Steve has been managing that for the last 10 years or so. As a boy, apparently he spent more time with wild animals than domestic pets. When he was nine, his father taught him how to dive in in rivers and catch crocodiles. Steve Irwin was sometimes a controversial figure. He was criticised for carrying his baby son whilst feeding a crocodile in front of crowds at his zoo. Most, though, will remember him for his larger-than-life personality and his enthusiasm for the wildlife he worked so closely with. Victoria Gatenby, Sky News. News of Steve Owen's passing spread rapidly, eliciting an outpouring of grief and tributes from friends, colleagues, celebrities and conservationists, not just in Australia, but worldwide. The world had lost a powerful advocate for wildlife, whose infectious enthusiasm had inspired millions to appreciate and protect the natural world. Irwin's death not only created a void in the field of conservationalism, but also highlighted the risks associated with close encounters with wildlife, even for seasoned experts like him. In the wake of Irwin's passing, 
there was a renewed focus on wildlife safety protocols, particularly among those involved in wildlife filmmaking and conservation efforts. The incident prompted discussions within the industry about the importance of maintaining a safe distance from potentially dangerous animals, even when conducting educational and research activities. Irwin's death became a somber reminder of how the inherent risks involved in working with wild animals, no matter how experienced the individual. Now, despite the tragic circumstances of his passing, Steve Irwin's legacy has lived on through his family and the Australia Zoo, the wildlife conservation facility he co-managed with his wife, Terry. Terry, along with their children, Bindi Irwin and Robert Irwin, continue Steve's work passionately advocating for wildlife conservation and environmental education. Bindi and Robert, following their father's footsteps, became prominent figures in the conservation community, ensuring that Steve's vision and dedication to wildlife preservation persisted. In addition to the ongoing conservation efforts of his family, Steve Irwin's legacy was further commemorated through various tributes and initiatives. The Australian government, recognising his contributions to conservation, issued a commemorative coin featuring Irwin's image. The Steve Irwin Wildlife Reserve, a protected area in Cape York Peninsula, Queensland, was dedicated in his honour, preserving critical habitats and biodiversity. Additionally, several documentaries and television specials were produced to celebrate his life and legacy, allowing fans to remember his extraordinary contributions to the world of wildlife conservation. The tragic death of Steve Irwin serves as a poignant reminder of the, face, of the risks faced by those who dedicate themselves to studying and protecting the natural world. His passing, while devastating, inspired a renewed commitment to wildlife safety and highlighted the importance of responsible interactions with animals in the field of conservation. Irwin's legacy lives on not only through his family's continued efforts, but in the hearts of millions of people he inspired to cherish and safeguard the wonders of the natural world. As the crocodile hunter's adventurous spirit endures, so too does his impact on environmental awareness and the ongoing fight to protect our planet's diverse and precious biodiversity. Yeah. That was the life and unfortunate death of Steve Owen. There's so much to talk about. I mean, like I said in the intro, it, it was such a it was such a moment in Australian culture when he died. It's like I, I don't want to compare it to 9-11, but it's one of those things where it's like everyone remembers where they were when they found out Steve Owen died. In Australia at least. Um I I, I can tell you where I was. I was um I was at home. It was a school day. And um it's funny, you know how like when you're in primary school or elementary school, you're just begging for something interesting to happen so you can talk about it. So, that, you know, there's some excitement at school. And the one day that the biggest thing that had happened in my life up to that point happened, I was actually at home. Um, I was homesick uh, or probably more accurate. I was faking sick so I didn't have to go to school because I was bullied relentlessly. But irregardless, uh, I was at home. And I remember I was actually sitting on the back balcony um, it probably would have been about one o'clock and I was reading, um, <laughs> I was, re <laughs> I was reading a Mr. Bean book, which I don't even know how that works. It was definitely a Mr. Bean book. I think like one of his cartoon books, I don't know. Uh, but I was reading a Mr. Bean book and I, how old would I have been in 2006? Probably too old to be reading a Mr. Bean book. I think I would have been nine. Um, yeah. What's 20? What's what, what would I do? 2006 minus 1993. 
I was 13. Way too old to be reading Mr. Bean books, but whatever. I was outside reading a Mr. Bean book uh, and my mom came out and she was like, oh, James, um, come inside. And I, so I, I did. And yeah, I was on the news. Steve Owen had just passed away. And um, yeah, I cried. I My mom cried. We all cried. Everyone was crying. It was so sad. And I think the reason everyone was, was so upset and it hit so hard, it's kind of like when Robin Williams died because he was such a outgoing positive, happy dude. No part of you was like, I want that guy dead. You know, Steve Owen was just like this positive influence in people's lives. He radiated his enthusiasm and his positive energy into everybody else's life. It's incredible. It's like, it's the best thing you can do. It's the best kind of person you can be is someone who radiates infectious positivity into the lives of people he's never met and has no connection with. Um, yeah, he was a great guy. I mean, like they, he had he had people he had detractors. People thought he was a bit much, and yeah, sometimes you watch an interview with him, he's like, "Oh yeah, wah, bah, bah. It sometimes it feels a little much, but you got to remember that like it was genuine enthusiasm. He wasn't putting on a character. It was a genuine enthusiasm. Some people have said that he might have been autistic, which is like possible. I don't know. Maybe we're all a little autistic. I reckon. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I was. And then after the death, like, people went crazy. There were so many tributes. There was the big one in Australia Zoo. Um, I think, I, I can't remember if he had a state funeral or not, um, but he absolutely would have been offered one. Um, but he did have a m memorial shortly after his death at Australia Zoo. Um, I, I wasn't there, but it was on TV. They, they broadcast it live. And they had uh, lots of celebrities there. The Prime Minister was there. Um, Prime Minister at the time would have been John Howard, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and like a, my favorite songwriter when I was young was John Williamson, who's an Australian, not to be confused with John Williams, who did like the Star, Star Wars theme. John Williamson's like an Australian country music icon. Um, he, wrote a, he wrote a few songs for Steve Owen, but he performed True Blue. I don't know if you guys have known that song, True Blue. Look it up. He performed that song at, um, at Australia Zoo for the memorial, and he actually even changed the lyrics to put Steve Owen in there. And I don't know if that's the official version of the song now um but whenever i'm singing it that's the version i like to sing where it includes steve owen yeah um but people did go nuts you know there was some negative stuff too people were doing like revenge killings of stingrays which was just it was absolutely fucked people would go out and yeah find a stingray and beat them to death and you know it, it's such an enduring part of our culture people still do it whenever you see a stingray people like you know, feign punching and go, ah, this is for Steve, that kind of stuff. It's like forever marred the stingray. <laughs> Even though they are mostly docile creatures, they don't hurt people. Um, they hurt one very important person. And uh, yeah, that's that's why. Um, I couldn't find what happened to the stingray that did kill him. If it escaped, if they caught it, if it died, I don't know what happened. But um, it's probably dead now, I guess. It's been like nearly 20 years. Um but yeah, it would, I, I do remember on the news people saying like, don't go and fucking revenge kill the stingrays because that's literally the last thing Steve Irwin would have wanted. So anyone who did that clearly was, they were just looking for an excuse to be a jackass, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else? I mean, his kids, his kids are about my age, actually. Bindi and Robert, uh, I think Robert's younger than me. Bindi is, I think is the year younger than me, potentially. I, like I try to keep these episodes pretty evergreen so we don't talk about current stuff as much as possible but um 
But there is apparently some un, like drama in the Irwin family. Apparently, so Bindi's uh, married and has a kid, and um, Robert apparently has a new girlfriend. And apparently, this is just drama. Apparently, Bindi doesn't like the new girlfriend. I don't know. That all sounds bullshit. But they seem both like really great people. Robert's um been like on American television a few times. I think like on Jimmy Fallon. He gives him a snake. The snake freaks out. It's fantastic. Um, but I, you do have to feel bad for these kids every single time. It's like a joke at this point. Every time either of them, but particularly Robert, does anything, anything at all, um, top comments are always like, I'll give you this is an example. So I'll, this is Robert Owen. Robert Owen comes and goes, oh, yeah, I bought a new car today. Uh, yeah, I bought a, it's a, it's a Nissan X-Trail. Fantastic vehicle. It's going to help me uh, get to work faster and safer. And then the person talking to him, the person selling him the car, you know, Steve Irwin would be so proud of you. Your dad would be so proud of you. You're so much like your dad. Your dead dad. Your dead dad would be so proud of you. Remember your dad that died? The dead dad? Your dead dad? Remember Rob the dead dad? You're just like the dead dad. That's kind of what every fucking interaction with him seems to be. And I feel a little bad for him. Every I saw a TikTok the other day. He was just doing a, a, a parody tour of a dilapidated house in the outback. And all the comments were like, oh, he's so much like his father. It's like, yeah, he, it is, but it's been 20 years. The kid needs to move on. Like everything is a reminder. It's, I mean, I'd, I've never had a parent die, but I imagine that like, you know, eventually the pain eases off, but it's harder if everyone constantly brings it up to you. So yeah, I don't know. But they seem to be doing really well. Uh, Terry Owen, uh, I actually think Terry Owen, uh, maybe this is a room I could be completely wrong. Maybe this is something that does need to Google. I don't want to slander anyone. Um, Steve Owen uh, had a best friend. Let's have a look. Um, I heard a rumor that Terry Irwin uh, got remarried. And I think it was to Steve's friend. Um, what the fuck is this? There's photos of him and um, <laughs> her. This guy looks like uh, Russell Crowe. Oh, no, okay. Well, this this um, article says Terry Owen has never remarried, instead focusing her husband's legacy alive through Australia's doing the promotion of wildlife. Um, yeah, when you click on who is Terry Owen's current partner, it says Steve Owen. So, um, yeah, in, two, in oh, this is interesting. In 2021, Terry denied that she was dating Russell Crowe, saying she was still very, very single. Interesting. Um, yeah, I heard rumors. So Steve had a, a best friend who worked at the, um, at the park and, and there was like rumors going around that Terry and her, him were dating. Yeah. I mean, it's very sensationalist and it kind of doesn't really matter. Yeah. Oh, she has a Wikipedia page as well. Good on her. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. No, nothing, nothing there. Nothing salacious. Thank goodness. Wes, Wes Mannion is the, is the name of the guy. He has an, oh, he has a Wikipedia as well. Bloody on you, Wes. Uh, in 2001, Mannion was involved in a serious incident in which a captive Australian soldier crocodile named Graham bit him on the thigh. Steve Owen, acting on instinct and training, subdued the crocodile with a wooden safety stick, a device located in all crocodile enclosures. Wow. Bloody hell. That's cool. Uh, okay, let's leave that there. Thank you for listening to the episode on uh, Steve Irwin. We're going to take a little break now, and we'll come back with the scratch of the day. back uh and did you have a good little break i personally 
went on my phone <laughs> because that's my favorite thing to do. I love my phone. I have all the apps. I, uh, you know what I have, which is dangerous. I got the Amazon Prime app on my phone. Uh, that 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 shit is deadly. Cause like I'm ordering, I am ordering so much fucking stuff. All you do, you swipe your finger and it's bored, and it's coming to your house the next day. It's incredible, but it's also bad because I've been told it's bad. I, I don't have much money. That's probably why I have no money because I spend it all on on Amazon. Uh, subscribe to the Patreon, and then I'll be able to do it more. Okay. Oh, all right. It is time for one of my favorite segments on this show, the Scratch of the Day. Scratch of the Day, guys. We, we all know what it is at this point. It's the segment of the show where we look at animal attacks in the news and we talk about them. Uh, and today we have three really interesting stories, including our first one, which is kind of a follow-up pop to a story that we've talked about a few weeks ago. If you'll remember, a couple of weeks ago, there was a man who was attacked by a bear in Utah and he he lost his jaw. His jaw got ripped off. Um, so we have a follow-up now from The Guardian and the headline reads, Man who lost jaw in Utah bear attack jokes that he's ready for round two. Navy veteran Rudy Norlander, 61 years old, who needed three operations to repair his face, is in good humor as he recovers for his injuries. A man who lost his lower jaw in a grizzly bear attack and is preparing to leave the hospital in Utah after the horrifying ordeal has joked that he's ready for round two if he ever meets another ursine foe in the wilderness. Navy veteran Rudy Norlander, 61 years old, underwent three operations to repair his face at the University of Utah Health Hospital in Salt Lake City after the bear attacked him in Custer Galatian National Forest close to Big Sky in Montana. But Norlander, who spoke to journalists by writing on a mark board, is in good humor as he recovers from his injuries. I will win round two, Norlander jokingly wrote on his board in reference to his plans to return to exploring the natural, the natural world and snowboarding. The bear attack happened after Norlander helped hunters locate a deer that they thought they had killed, the family's GoFundMe campaign said. He pulled out a gun but was unable to scare it off and it bit off his lower jaw. The hunters he was helping eventually chased the animal away and got help. Norlander is expected to make a full recovery, but is working to recover his full ability to eat and talk. In a letter read to reporters by his daughter, Norlander again expressed his remarkable cheerfulness and said, Soon I'm going to be a free-range chicken and I won't be hooked up to anything. He also said that he was looking forward to being able to drink normally again. That first root beer float is going to taste amazing, the letter said. Wow. That's a nice story. I like it when things have a relatively happy ending. Although a root beer float, I've never had one. It sounds terrible. It does not sound good. Okay, let's move on to another story. Uh, let's talk. This is from the Observer Dispatch, which is an interesting uh, news website. A Utica Zoo was forced to close for the day following a lion attack on Tuesday. Uh, the Utica Zoo is closed on Wednesday after a male African lion injured a zookeeper Tuesday afternoon during a routine feeding in the lion's enclosure, zoo officials said. The, the zoo official, whose name had not been released, sustained non-life-threatening injuries and was treated at a local hospital, officials say. The zoo said the lions did not escape their enclosure and the public and other staff were not at risk. The zoo is in contact with its accrediting body, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, informing them of the incident. There will be no punitive action against our lions, said Andriana Heath, Utica Zoo director, in a statement. 
An incident occurred and it is being reviewed and it will be learned from. We are all grateful to our staff and the animals are okay. Officials announced that the zoo would be closed to the public on Wednesday while they review their procedures and allow staff to focus on taking care of themselves and the animals. The zoo plans to reopen to the public on Thursday. On behalf of the zoo's staff and the board of directors, we thank the majority of our community who have reached out with concerns and well wishes, Utica Zoo spokesperson Ali Snyder said in a statement. Um, weirdly enough, there's a photo here from Utica Zoo of a lion. It's like in the snow. It must snow in Utica. So my question is, does it snow anywhere in Africa where lions live? A lion's supposed to be in the zoo. It just seems a little like, I don't know, a little chilly for our little friends. I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know where Utica is, although I, I, I only know it from the office. Because doesn't, um, what's Jim's ex-girlfriend? Karen? Karen Filippelli? Karen Filippelli goes and manages the Utica branch. Yeah, that's right. And then Michael and, and Dwight and Jim... Try because she's trying to poach Stanley, and then um, they said that they will burn Utica to the ground. Uh, yeah. Anyway, and if that lion attacks my friend again, we will burn Utica to the ground. Okay. One final story for today. Uh, back local for me at least. Tasmanian man dies after family's pet dog attacks couple at home. Uh, this is from the 16th of October, so only two days ago. Um, ABC News reports. A man has died after being attacked by his dog in southern Tasmania. Tasmania police said the 66-year-old man and a 64-year-old woman were set upon by his dog late on Sunday night at his home in Allen's Rivette in south of Hobart. Police and emergency services were called to the scene around 10.40pm. Tasmania Police Inspector Colin Riley said the man suffered serious injuries to his lower legs and was sadly pronounced dead at the scene. The woman was transported to the Royal Hobart Hospital with serious injuries to her lower limbs, Inspector Riley also said. Police were notified by a neighbour who heard the noise. The dog was euthanised at the scene by animal management officers from the local council. Our thoughts are with the man's loved ones at this very difficult time. Inspector Riley said the police were very grateful that no one else was injured, including their own staff and emergency services. Inspector Riley said that this tragedy was a case of a family that had loved the pet, but unfortunately, that animal has turned on them and it had tragic outcomes. A significant injury like this, where it leaves one person deceased and another person in hospital, is very rare in Tasmania. To be honest, I can't recall the last time something like this has recurred. Gary Arnold, general manager at the local Kingsborough Council, said the initial indications show that the dog was not registered, but they are checking council records. I'm not aware of any recent attacks that have resulted in injury and certainly not death. A report is being prepared for the coroner. Well, there you go. All right. Well, there you go. Three quite short stories. Potentially, we should look for another one because all three of those stories were quite skinny. They were quite slender. Let's have a quick looky-loo. Okay. I found something a little interesting. This might be worth a read. Uh, fill up a bit of time. Um, this article from Huffington Post Six wild true crime cases where animals got the blame. Um, let's let's read that. Let's read this. It might be long. Um, this is an excerpt from our true crime newsletter. Suspicious. Oh, maybe I can't read this. Yeah. 
No, I don't think I can read. This is like an actual essay someone's written. I can't just steal that. Let's see what else we can find. Um, killer whale attack suspected as great white shark carcass washes up on Victoria coast. That's one we could read. Um, we've already read this. There's a lot. What to do if you're attacked by a bear or any, let's read this national geographic. What to do if you're attacked by a bear or any of these wild animals. Um, Oh, for fuck's sake, I'm not signing up. No, god damn it, National Geographic. You're fucking this show right up. Um, what else can we do? All right. Oh, okay, well, this is an interesting one. Um, this is related to current events in Israel, Palestine. Um, animals left behind. Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm not gonna re- I'm not signing up. No. <sighs> I hate when they- I-, I get it. Like, I get it but I hate it. I just don't want to pay money to read a news article. Um, just put ads on the page. That's, that's like, I'll look at the ads. Um, what else? Okay. Okay. Here's one that we can read. Thank you to the guardian for not being assholes. Um, Queensland man dies, uh, after snake bite when removing a reptile from a friend's leg. A man in his 60s has died following a snake bite in central Queensland after helping to remove the reptile that he'd coiled that had coiled around his friend's leg. Two men were treated by the Queensland's ambulance service in Kumala, a town 60 kilometers south of Mackay, shortly after 6:30 p.m. on Saturday evening. They were at Kumala State School attending a celebration for the school's 100-year anniversary. The snake was coiled around one man's leg and the second man was bitten as he tried to... Wait a second, we've... Oh, we've talked about this. This was um a few... Like, a while ago, like a month ago when we did our snake bite series in Queensland. This was the most recent snake bite that had killed someone. We'll, we'll keep going through because I think there might be more information here. Um, uh, Claire Bettenshaw, the, the Queensland Ambulance Service Acting Deputy Commissioner for Operations South, said the man had likely been bitten on the arm. There was a rapid call for an ambulance and bystanders performed CPR immediately as the man collapsed. The man who removed the snake was in cardiac arrest when paramedics arrived on the scene. They performed CPR and used a defibrillator. Despite heroic measures by both bystanders and the Queensland Ambulance Services, he was unfortunately unable to be revived and passed away. The second man, also in his 60s, was transported to McKay Base Hospital and is in a stable condition. The other fellow as well, he was taken to the hospital last night. I can't say with any certainty whether he was bitten or not. My thoughts are with the family and friends of the patient who tragically lost their life last night. Authorities are uncertain of the species of snake involved. From the symptoms that the patient had, the cardiac collapse, it would more than likely be a brown snake, Burtonshaw said. There are several venomous snake species found in central Queensland, including the highly venomous eastern brown snake and the coastal taipan. Burtonshaw reiterated that the first aid steps people should take if bitten by a snake. We would want to try and limit the amount uh, that any venom moves around your body and what is circulated around, she said. You need to lie down, stay as still as possible, call for help as quickly as possible, have someone else apply pressure immobilization bandages to the affected limb, and uh, and that should be about as tight as you would want it for a sprain, and just to, to wait for help to arrive. Try to stay as calm as possible. Um, we did read this article, I believe, but it does say this article was amended on the 14th of September to make clear that the man died after, but not from, the snake bite. Uh, wow, okay, interesting. Donald Morrison's family has issued the statement saying there was no venom found in his body. Oh, well, that's interesting. Then how'd he die? 
I don't know. Okay. Well, maybe you just had a heart attack. <laughs> maybe you got scared. Uh, okay, guys, that's going to do our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry we got a little bit sidetracked at the end there, trying to find a fourth story. Uh, thank you for listening to the story of Steve Owen. It's a, you know, it's a big moment in Australian culture. Um, and I really appreciate it. So if you're from overseas, I'd be really interested in hearing like what your, um, what your relationship to the crocodile hunter was because he's famous. Like he seems super famous here, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking overseas. He's not as big a deal as, as, um, as maybe I'd like to think. I, I don't know. Um, okay. A few things I'd like you to do, please, please go on to our, uh, Spotify and give us a good review. Thank you very much. That's all you need to do. Pod, P- Patreon's there. You can give us some money. If you think we deserve some m- 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 money shots. Um, Next week, it's, ooh, it's Halloween. We're doing a new thing next week. We're going to do a killer cryptids slash man. It is creepypasta, Halloween spooktacular. Ooh, we're getting ready for the spooky season. We don't celebrate Halloween as much in Australia, but I know you guys in the good old United States, you love it. So we're going to do it a little bit more for you. Uh, So yeah, creepypasta is going to look them up. If you have a creepypasta that you like you can send it through um hopefully animal related but maybe not necessarily animal related we'll do that uh and then of course what are we doing the week after i'm just trying to remember what my um i've got like i've got it all planned out gang i'm actually really organized for once we're gonna do we did steve owen today we're gonna do the creepypasta next week oh and then hopefully no promises we might have some guests on the show from another podcast on episode 72 so look forward to that uh i will see you guys in seven short days uh have a good one have a really good one what are you up to i'm 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 what am i what am i doing i'm finishing billy elliott this weekend um which is why i'm recording oh you know what i am doing i'm very excited for I'm recording this Australian standard time uh, at about 9 a.m. on a Thursday. Tonight at midnight, I will be able to play Spider-Man 2. And I cannot tell you how fucking pumped I am to do that. I will not be, I'm going to play it all night. I'm going to wake up all sleepy. I have to work. It's going to be fine. And then, uh, yeah, every every waking second I get, I've told my fiance uh, that she will not be loved for the next week, and she is aware. Uh, I cannot wait. Spider-Man 2 is going to be great. If it's bad, I may not come back. I may just... Th- you may never hear from me again. I may wallow in my self-pity for, for decades after that. Um, okay, that is going to do it. Have a great time. Play Spider-Man 2 if you want to. And, uh, yeah, stay safe out there because, as we've learned, it's a jungle out there. 